computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. Today we welcome Steve Judge, a paratriathlon world champion, speaker, and author of the inspiring book Gold. Steve's an extraordinary human being having gone from a catastrophic car crash where he was told he would never walk again to defying the odds to become a world champion paratriathlete. On the podcast today, we delve deep into the heart of Steve's inspiring story to explore how he harnessed anger and motivator through his excruciating rehabilitation and as a result, powerfully reframed what was possible for him. We'll get a profound look into the power of compounding small actions and understand how he built momentum from his lowest points to reach the pinnacle of success. It's a really inspiring story. It would challenge us to see adversity as an opportunity for growth and excitement. So thank you for joining us. And without further ado, let's dive straight in. And where I'd like to start is you waking up on a hospital bed. You've just been told you'll never walk again. Share with us that moment. What was that like? What was that like for you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, hi, Alex. Nice to be here on this, uh, this, this chat, this podcast. But yeah, 2002, that was. Just had a near fatal car accident, been in operation for eight and a half hours and, you know, waking up, just gathering my surroundings and realising I was static. I think that was the thing. I couldn't move. My legs couldn't move. I remember looking down, I had a big metal cage on one leg and my other leg was in a plaster cast and the surgeon was doing his rounds. He came over to my bed and, you know, he had the good news was, you know, Steve, you know, we managed to save your legs. But I'm afraid with the severity of your injuries that you've sustained, there's a good chance that you may never walk again. Mm-hmm. And those are the, the words that ring through my mind. And how did I feel? I think, as with most people, it's like a fight or flight in a way. I mean, I could have just rolled over in bed and gone, okay, I guess I'll never walk again. And you know, just given in almost. Mm-hmm. But for me, at that moment, there was something inside me. I was really angry, actually, that somebody oh, wow. had said that because they'd just saved my legs. And I was... I remember them saying they might have to amputate my leg before I went into the operating theatre. And I said, please just do your best. And then I you know, went out and when I came up, I had my legs. So I thought, well, that's good. Yeah. But then to say that walk again, that's taking something huge as a human being to say that you can't stand maybe or walk again. Sure. You're taking away not just your independence, but so much more. I'm six foot one, so I'm a tall guy. Right. And so suddenly, I, I, you know, all these things go rush through your head as like, I'm going to be in a wheelchair, I'm not going to be able to walk, I'm going to go, what the, what the hell? And it really made me really angry that they had the audacity to say that. And I guess this is the fight, isn't it? If that, the other one was the flight, this is the fight in me. And I just thought, I'll, sh- I'll prove you wrong. And I remember picking the words apart and said, you may never walk again. I thought, oh, you said may. So that means there is a chance, <laughs> probably a very slim chance. And I guess that's the optimum, uh, the optimistic part of me yeah. uh, being an optimist. So yeah, you may never walk again. And I'm not saying it wasn't like an action movie where I, you know, leapt out of bed and said, give me a pair of crutches and did this and did that. Mm-hmm. I was literally at that time fighting for my life. I was concentrating on getting energy in, food, trying to eat food. And even then I struggled to eat food. I I used to count how many times I had to chew the food to swallow. Right. It was real bare, bare minimum of survival things just to keep me going. However, you know, that what he said to me stuck with me and I used that as I got better and stronger mm-hmm. and, and started doing physio, started doing rehabilitation, and thinking, you know, right, so what do I have to do 
to succeed in this so that I can stand, so I can walk? Because you said I may not be able to, but I may be able to. So tell me what I have to do. I know not just the surgeon, I'm talking to the nurses, the physios, the doctors, my friends, my family, anybody. You know, what do I have to do to make this a positive, you know, so that I can achieve what I want to do? And there was lots. There was lots, you know, loads of physio. And again, physio, upper body, you know, just breathing in, getting your lungs going as well. And then slowly getting down to my, my legs. And I could go on for ages because things like my, my right leg, I had to grow my leg back. Right. My leg was four inches short. Wow. Um, four inches of bone had been knocked out. So one of the one of the things I had to do was grow my leg back. I had to stretch my leg back to the right length. Wow. That wasn't an instant thing, as you can imagine. That oh. took like a hundred days, and, and I couldn't start it straight away. I had to wait for the bone. Oh, it gets complicated. The bone had to heal first, and so that I had a short leg, a solid short leg. Then they had to break the bone in a different place. So then, then I could start extending the leg a millimetre a day by twisting nuts and bolts on my cage day by day, stretching the, the ligaments and the muscle and the skin and, and wrench the bone apart to, to form a gap of four inches, 100, 100 10 centimetres. And then that was the right length. And, and this took, you know, we're talking probably about six or seven months now from the accident. And then I thought, thank goodness for that. You know, my leg is the right length. Now I can get this damn cage off. And they said, no, Steve, you've got no bone there. You literally just... You, you've lengthened your leg, but there's no bone. You've got a calcium stream there. You now have to grow the bone so it's solid. And again, I'm like, well, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. All the time I'm saying, what can I do? How do I do that? How do I do that? And said, you've got to stand on your leg and you've got to walk on your leg. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no bone in my leg. They said, no, no, you've got to trust the cage. The cage will hold your, your leg together. You trust the cage, put your weight through your leg, and the bone will eventually grow back nice and solid. And I'm just like, this is such a mind over matter because your brain's screaming out to you, don't do this. This is crazy. Right. But again, this is what I had to do to achieve my goal. And so that's what I did. And you're, you're right, it wasn't easy. And there was so much pain. And it took a long, long time. It took a lot longer than I thought, probably about a year and a half of standing on my leg and, and walking on my leg to encourage the bone to grow by bit and this is the there's so many messages there but one i keep saying is bit by bit to achieve the things that you really want to stand to walk to whatever it is in your your life whether it's academics or health or wealth it's usually bit by bit mm. it's not a quick fix thing i wish things were um but they're not and so it's a case of okay well let's start day by day and let's work towards it and and keeping the motivation going while you're doing all of that is hard yeah. in whatever you're doing but you've got to keep thinking about why you're doing this. And that's what I was thinking all the time. So from his words saying, you may never walk again, I was like, I will walk again. And I'm on that journey. I had no idea at that time how flipping long it would take to get there. Sure. But I did. And eventually I got there, which is great. Steve, so many things to pick out of that. It's so fascinating and inspiring. And yeah, just first of all, I think to myself, thank God the doctor didn't say, you will never walk again. Thank God he put the may in there. But yeah. but it, I also found it really interesting that the emotion that and the motivational emotion you kind of went with was one of anger, because I think and imagine some people when hearing that news would have gone to upset or gone to almost a kind of victim. Oh, woe is me. Quite understandably. And I'm not trying to be insensitive because I, I've never been through that, thankfully, but I can't imagine how I'd be. And maybe I would also think, oh, gosh, you know, my life's over. I've never. And there's also identity wrapped up. Well, like you said, you're a six foot one guy hearing you're never going to walk again. There's you identify as someone who walks up to that point. And so there's all this kind of thing. But I just found it interesting. You went to anger and it was also such a motivational response 
what do you think where did that come from where 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 was it that had you go to anger do you think over or, or is that just the 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 emotion you chose to go with maybe there were other emotions going on as well um i don't know it's a good question so i think um I always say there's nothing wrong with anger as long as you use it. Mm. And I think, you know, when you go through change, you know, you go through denial first. And I think, you know, denial, then then anger, right. and the wave of resilience, which I talk about. Uh, but why? Was I upset? Well, yeah, of course I was upset. I must have been upset. But that's clearly wasn't the one thing that stands out to me was being upset. Because I guess that is the, if it's the fight or flights, that would be the flights, just mm. being upset and, Right. Yeah, and I absolutely was. And I remember looking in my diary, which I started writing in the hospital bed. And it was four weeks after the accident, and it said, today I'd written the words, today was a good day because today was the first time that I didn't cry. I'd cried every single day in my mum's arms. I was like 30 years old, and my mum came to visit me, and I'd cried in her arms. With the question, why me? Why me? Why is this right. happening to me? That's the upset side. So I was totally upset. But I think at that the first thing I thought was anger. And I think it comes to, for some reason... I don't like being told what to do. I don't, I have that, you know, if somebody says you can't do that, I'm like, why? Why can't I do that? I'm a, I love swimming, open water swimming. I love swimming in lakes and rivers and stuff like that, nice and safely. So when I see a sign that says no swimming in this lake, I'm like, why? So right. why can't I swim in this? I, I, I'm very good at swimming. I know what I'm doing. I'm very sensible. That sign says I can't. Why? Yeah. And I think it's just questioning that. So when somebody says you may never be able to walk again, I'm like, why? Sorry, you, I misunderstand. You fixed my legs. I'm in a hospital, there's physios and loads of professional people here to help me, yet you're saying that I might not be able to do it. Why? That makes you really angry. And so tell me more about it kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's it's questioning why you can't do that. And with that comes a little bit of anger or un, you know being unsure. So maybe anger is quite a strong word. It's like hate is a strong word. But anger, yeah, it's like a tint of anger as to tell me more, more why I can't do that. And I think I've, I've carried that throughout my throughout my life, throughout my journey as an elite athlete and now my business, my business, the pandemic, oh my goodness, the pandemic told many people, you can't do this anymore. Right. And as a conference speaker, standing on a stage in front of thousands of people, the pandemic hit me very hard. And I said, I don't like this. I'm angry at this. I'm angry at the pandemic. And I think a lot of people were angry. So what did I do about it? So yeah, it's all right being angry, but what are you going to do about it? One thing I got was a punch bag and I, I hit the hell out of that. But it's like, well, what can I do to get around this? Or how can I accommodate this? How can I work with this? What more do I have to do to prove you wrong? Right. Mr. Pandemic, Mr. Surgeon, Mr. Whoever it is, putting blockers and barriers and obstacles in my way to get to the thing that I want. I want this thing and you're saying that I can't do it. That makes me frustrated. And angry. It's like a red rag to a bull to me. So I, yeah, I probably upset a little bit and maybe it's a different way around. Maybe I'm angry first and then I'm upset. But, right. but I think the anger shines through quite highly to get me motivated, to get yeah. me passionate about pushing forward. And then, then I have to put the sensible head on and think, okay, so how on earth are we going to do this? You know, because the surgeon, they're very qualified. They know what they're talking about. So yeah. when he said, you may not be able to walk about, he knew what he was talking about. So, you know, who am I to question him? But I also think, you don't know me. You, I'm just a number because the NHS, they're, they're amazing as they are. But when you go into the hospital, you're a number because they don't know you. Don't know the, the background of the patients or anything like that. And I think that probably angered me. I was fit. I was healthy. I knew what I wanted. And so somebody takes that or tries to take that away from you. Mm. You kind of, I wanted to fight back and prove them wrong. And I think I did that through, through my physio. So here's an interesting thing. Years down the line, I was world champion now in power triathlon. I went back to the hospital to to see the surgeon because I wanted to 
to th- say thank you properly. Yeah. It took me ages because surgeons, they're busy people. Um, so every time you go in, they're in they're in surgery. So I had to wait in the waiting room like a patient for about two hours until he was free and available. Because I thought, I'm not going away this time. I tried a couple of times and, <laughs> and not succeeded. And anyway, I sat there with a the book. Eventually went in to see him. And I said, look, I just want to say thank you. This is what I've achieved. I've now champion of the world in power triathlon. And it's because of you, you mm. you helped me with my leg. And he said, I'll stop you there, Steve. He says, you were different. You were a different kind of patient. He says, you did things. When we told you to do things like physio or whatever, you did it. And you asked, you always asked us what more you could do after right. that. And so because of that, we gave you more physio to do. And you did that and you asked for more. So we gave you more. He says, at one point, Steve, you were doing 21 different pieces of physio, different physio exercises towards yours, towards your, your rehabilitation. He says, because of that, that's why you've achieved what you've done by growing your leg, by, by standing, by walking, by running, by doing all these things. He says, it's you that's done it. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll take 50% then because let, let's call it teamwork because you've done your bit and I've done my bit. And maybe the surgeons and the physios and the doctors and well, you know, it's a golden gang. We've all worked together, but it's because I was willing to do what I was told. Yeah. And I love this, saw this quote recently and it said, physio, physio is not something that you get. Physio is something that you do. And a lot of people don't realize that with many things. They go for a physio half hour session. They think they're going to fix them. It doesn't work like that. You get a business coach for like one hour a week. The business coach can't fix your business in that one hour. They give you stuff to do. You go away and you do that stuff. It's the same with everything. And so that's what I was doing. I was being given this stuff and I'd go away and I'd do it. And I'd do it maybe even more than what they said, you know, in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I'd come back with questions. You know, I can't do this, can't do that. What about if I did this? And that's what they love. They love patients like that. And he didn't know that I was that kind of patient right at the beginning, but he got to know me as time went on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, what I hear really in that, Steve, is a great analogy for opportunity. I mean, you could use that analogy to think there's so many opportunities in the world, but you've got to take them and you've then got to take advantage of them and and and, and do the work that's necessary to actually realise that opportunity. And you did that, you know, the, the physio is there, but there's also patients I'm sure they have who they get given advice or they get given, you know, a prescribed routine they've got to follow and they don't follow it. And then they don't get any better or yeah. if anything, they get worse and, and they can't understand why. So I guess it's, there's two things. There's you taking advantage of the opportunities afforded to you, but also taking responsibility. You chose to take responsibility for your situation yeah, and make the best of it. And it reminded me of something I read about your book. So you talked about through the rehabilitation process, um, you had you created a new context in that once you could walk again and you'd accomplish what you'd been told was impossible, then you were essentially living by different rules and there, there were rules that you could create. So can you just tell us about that? I thought it was a wonderful context you created, but I was, yeah, just maybe you could expand on that. Yeah, I guess it's the case of when you achieve something and you celebrate, you must always celebrate when you've achieved something. You've got to take a a look back and look at where you've come from. And that's what I did. You know, when I was finally able to stand and and walk again, that comment of you may never be able to walk again rung in my head and thought, oh, I I proved him wrong. So, you know, what else can I do? I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing. If I can do that, I wonder what else I can achieve. The human body is an amazing thing, you know, and we try to work out, but we get statistics from the average person and there's no such thing as that. Well, there's no such thing as normal. So I think when I got to my, my stage of um, passing through rehabilitation, 
of standing walking I was not the same as I was before okay I now got disability in both my legs and you know I have a lot of pain and so my goal to be honest was to get back to normal and I I didn't get there but I had no regrets on what I'd done because I pushed myself so it is what it is but I suddenly realized that there is no such thing as normal everybody's different so stop comparing yourself to your friends to your family to your colleagues to celebrities I had to start thinking about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. And I think this is the philosophy that I used. And that's what really helped me. If I can't do that, it's like control the controllables. If you can't control it, just put it to one side Mm. and start controlling things that you can control. You know, think about what you can do rather than what you can't do. I couldn't do this, so I put it to one side and thought, right, well, let's go with the swimming. Let's go with the cycling. Let's think about what I can do. Mm. Because, you know, they said I couldn't walk and now I'm doing that. So let's put it out there. And, And where do I get this from? I don't know. Optimism, maybe. Maybe that tint of anger. I talk about scouting a lot when I was in scouts. I love the scout badges and every single scout badge is an opportunity. You talk about opportunities, Alex, and I see opportunities. Opportunities are are everywhere. Mm. You've got to see them. You've got to hear them. You've got to smell them. And when you do find them, you've got to grab hold of them in both hands and do something about it. And a lot of people don't. And because of that, these opportunities pass them by. And then they say patronizing things to, to people that are successful and grab these opportunities. They say things like, you're so lucky. And like, mm-hmm. oh, it really winds me up. <laughs> There's that anger coming out again. But because it's not about luck. You make your own luck. You grab those opportunities. If you know what you're looking for, then you see the opportunities more and you do something about it if that's what you want. And I keep stressing that because if you don't want it, no. fine, that's absolutely fine. You carry on with your life, just you know, cruising through it, uh, flatlining through it. But if you want something better for your life and you know what you want, you will see those opportunities and you will teach yourself to grab hold of them and then take the action. The action is the very important thing. You can't just like talk about it. A lot of people do that. They talk about things, but they don't do anything or they they try to materialize things and manifest things. But you've got yeah. to do the action thing as well. So, yeah, I think that was my my philosophy is as time went on and I was succeeding, I was thinking, so what more can I do? What more can I achieve? And that takes me through all the way through being an elite athlete and now into my business, you know, running a, a business successfully. So, yeah, using that philosophy throughout my life and passing that on to others. That's what I really want to do. Yeah, that's great, Steve. Yeah, I, I read that about your philosophy of, you know, focusing on what you could do as opposed to what you couldn't do. And I mean, that, that that's such a great example in life. There's lots of things we just don't or not able to do, at least not right now. And yeah. so rather than get disappointed and depressed about it, we can just focus, okay, what can I do? And it goes back to also what you talked about earlier in terms of, you know, gradual step-by-step, just doing one bit at a time, moving forward as opposed to standing still or even backwards. So that's amazing. I mean, you know, the way you talk, it sounds like it was plain sailing in some ways, but I mean, there must've been days when, you know, you had doubts, when, you know, things weren't going well, there's, you're in a lot of pain, I imagine. How did you overcome those? What was your kind of process or approach to dealing with the, the, the tough days? Because I mean, I'm sure everyone, well, we all go through tough days. Yeah, well, share, us about, share with us about that if you could. You're absolutely right, Alex. As a as a motivational speaker, I'm very I come across as very optimistic and positive. And uh, yeah, I do have low days right. uh, now. You know, when you're struggling to get out of bed or something. Luckily, not too many days. And yes, there were definitely low days when I was going through my rehabilitation. Those were those were tough times. My my daily routine was literally to inflict pain on myself three times a day, either twisting bolts or doing physio or trying to stand and putting pe- just pain, pain, pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I woke up to. And it was it was horrible. <laughs> to be honest, it was tough. So yeah, let me talk about one of the toughest times. And this, when you mentioned that, I was, I was thinking it was a year anniversary after the accident and I'd gone backwards. 
because I couldn't get my leg. My right leg was the right length, but it was it was not straight. Right. And if I couldn't get my my leg straight, then when I stand on it, it would buckle. And my surgeon says, if you don't, surgeon, my physio, my physio said, if you don't get it straight, you're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. And I thought, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, and if you're walking with a limp, it's going to affect your hip, it's going to affect your back. It's going to have consequences. And I thought, yeah, I get it. I hear you. How do I get it straight? Again, what more can I do? They said physio, I did lots of physio. It did not work, as in trying to push my leg straight. Tears rolling down my face three times a day, gritting my teeth. Went to the dentist. I thought I was crunching down my teeth so much. It was just so much pain. And in the end, I had to go for plan B. The plan B, there's always a plan B. There's like 26 letters of the alphabet, so there's always another plan. So the plan B was to go back into surgery and get another cage. So I had a lower cage on the lower part of my leg and then a cage on my, my thigh. And then a bar connecting them, and I had to twist nuts and bolts, slowly straightening my leg bit by bit for seven weeks. This was hell on earth. Not only that, it took away the independence that I'd built up within that year. I was getting around. I was walking with a limp. I was driving in hands, hand-controlled cars. Mm-hmm. I was doing things around the house. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Suddenly with a double cage on, I could. my leg was straight. It was like scaffolding around it. I was trying to sleep with that on. I couldn't get up the stairs. It was heavy, as you can imagine. I couldn't drive my car. I couldn't walk with it on because literally a straight leg. It was horrible. And so this was really, really tough times. Now, because it was a year anniversary, I got a letter through the post and I was feeling pretty low as it was, but this letter was from my employer that said, it's been 12, 12 months. Uh, you're clearly not able to come back to work. I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to end your employment with us. Oh, and at that point, I just, I burst into tears. Yeah. And I remember writing in my diary, and again, it's diary notes. It, it just said, I feel like I've got no purpose. And I think think when you write something like that, you know, you can't get much, much lower than that. And that's why I was. And and that was probably my lowest time. I can remember I can remember just crying over and over again. And but it was the kind of crying that if I stopped and pulled myself together, it didn't work. It just built up inside and it just burst out day after day after day. And I just I I stopped doing everything. I I guess is the closest I came to depression or whether that was depression, mm-hmm. but I just did nothing. Now, the, the question was, you know, after my, my low days, how did I get out of it? And I think what I did was I remember looking around probably day four, day five of doing nothing. I saw the physio equipment that I hadn't touched for like days. Mm-hmm. I saw all the notes uh, collecting dust. I hadn't like picked the pen up, hadn't made any notes or anything like that. I was, I saw myself in the mirror and I was unshaved. I was unwashed. I hadn't done anything. I was just moping around. And so the point that I'm getting to, Alex, is that I'm very much about having a goal and working towards it, having a vision, thinking about what you really want to become and achieve and all of that. Absolutely. But sometimes when you're at your lowest, you can't even think about that. And so what I thought about was I just didn't want to be where I was right here, right now. So I just needed to do something to move me forward. And so I think the first day I, I had a shower or washed or washed my face. The next day, maybe I shaved. The next day, I, I thought about doing my physio. Maybe the next day, I actually did some physio. And every day, I just did something to get me out of where I was. Right. I wasn't thinking about walking or anything like that. I didn't even want to leave the house. But I just wanted to not be the person that I'd become. And looking back on that, I think that's what you need. When you're at your lowest times, when you're really struggling, whether that's you know, in, your, in, your, in your life, whether it's business or whether it's your relationships or whether you're drinking or eating too much and you don't like that, 
And again, maybe you, you're angry that you've become that person and you don't like the person that you've become, then just do one thing to move you away from that per day and and see how that goes over the next week or so and maybe get somebody to help you to to move on and that's what I did and eventually I got back onto it and and started doing the physio and my my leg did get straight and it was essential what I was going through those seven weeks of hell was essential for me to get a straight leg to stand to grow the bone to everything it had a massive consequence on and if I just stayed in that that depression pool rock bottom as I call it then it would have been a very very different story for me yeah I mean there's a lot of things you say there Steve which kind of one is it's almost like the analogy of taking two steps back to take you know three steps forward you you have you could have your leg was going in the right direction but it wasn't straight and had you not started to straighten it you would have had that you could have you know been able to walk but you would have limped for the rest of your life so you had to go through that process and that period where it was god it sounds like you know having like a torture device on your leg you know the, the bolts oh god it just sounds horrendous but then i think the other thing i really hear is momentum you ground to a halt you kind of stopped but you just started to build momentum again by just doing that one thing that's going to move you from where you are. And just again, it sort of illustrates the power of momentum, isn't it? And and yeah. also acknowledging when the momentum has been lost. And it's only been lost temporarily. It's it's just building it again. But yeah, that's that's wonderful. I'm sure I, I can get a lot, relate a lot to what you're saying in terms of being in moments when I just feel I don't want to be here, but how do I start moving forward again? So that's great. I heard a, a lovely comment saying, accept the plateau. And I love that. You know, when you're climbing up a mountain, you, you get you reach a plateau. Yeah. Just rest. Just rest. Yeah. Enjoy the view. Look at where you've come from. Give yourself a pat on the back, maybe something to eat, and then go again. Carry on yeah. up the mountain. So accept the plateau. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I can really see the I can imagine myself on a plateau right now. Yeah, I love that, Steve. And um, obviously our podcast is called Intelligent Performance. So I'm curious what for you is intelligent performance. And maybe have you got any examples from how you've built your life? You went through your recovery. You could give some illustrations of, of, of moments where you kind of can label as intelligent performance. Um, so performance, when you're performing. So I think we're now moving on to when I became an elite athlete. Mm. and I'm getting to the start line, ready to perform, ready to represent Great Britain. So I needed to be intelligent. We're talking elite. So what makes an elite athlete, if I can sum that up? And it was about... I learned it was about getting to that start line with no regrets. I used to hear some people, some some other athletes saying, we're just about to do the swim, then the bike, then the run. So just about to dive in. And they're saying, God, I'd wish I'd done more swimming training. Mm. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Because we're just about to compete, whether it's the, the British or the European or the World Championships. And if you've got doubts that you should have done more, then you're a Muppet because it's too late, isn't it? Mm. It's clearly too late. We're just about to set off. I did as much as I could, as much as I could. I was working full time in health and safety. I had a family with two kids. I was competing as an elite athlete in swimming, cycling and running. My time was full. I did as much training as I possibly could to the extent that when I got to the start line, I was like, bring it on. I, mm -hmm. I'm ready for this. I couldn't have done any more. And it wasn't just the training as in the, the swim, the bike, the run. It's nutrition. It was mindset. It was meditation. It was listening to my body. It was everything. As an elite athlete, and you're talking about intelligent performance, you've got to consider every single aspect that will get you to win, to succeed, to achieve that thing that you want. And so you're taking, you're constantly asking yourself, same thing, you know, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do to be the best in the world? 
and you're given all this information and you're like, okay, well, okay, I've got to juggle this with the 24 hours that I've got per day. And that's what you do. And one part of it, I learned from other people who weren't at the start line. I said, you know, where's Jack and where's Alex and stuff like that. And they would say, oh, they're injured. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I felt really gutted for them. But I thought, right, okay, so I can learn from this. I've got to do that injury prevention thing, which is the most boring thing ever because you don't see any results. You just don't get injured. Right. But you get to the start line and that's what you need to do. The, the warming up, the warming down, the yoga, the tai chi. I was doing that as well as the swim, the bike, and the run, the speed and the endurance. It's like so much. But this relates on to, to now in my business and maybe some of your listeners, because I'm sure not all your listeners are really athletes or want to become world champions, but they want to succeed. So in my business, I use the same philosophy. So I have a business coach. I want my business to be successful so that I can help as many people as possible. I'm asking my business coach, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do? How do I get to the start line so I can keep competing? I've got to look after my wellness. Mm. My well, If I'm ill and I'm burnt out and I'm in bed, I'm not doing the thing that I absolutely love, which is running my business, standing on the stage, performing, performing. So intelligent performance is making sure that I get the balance right, listening to my body, taking some time off, doing some meditation, going for a walk, going for a run, swim, bike, but not a competitive level, just to keep it ticking over so that I can keep turning up on my desk and do the thing, you know, that I need to do the background work so that I can go and stand on the stage. I still get up at 5.30 in the morning, every morning, jump out of bed like a grasshopper because I enjoy what I'm doing. But I can only do that if I go to bed on time. I can only do that if I get a really good night's sleep. How do I get a good night's sleep? What more can I do to get a good night's sleep? You're constantly asking yourself the question. So I think intelligent performance is, is not only having the right people around you, the golden gang, but it's asking, I call it your golden gear, it's constantly asking, you know, what more can I do to get the best performance to succeed, to achieve the thing that I really want? No, it's such a powerful question, Steve, isn't it? I think, you know, I think questions are the right ones are incredibly powerful, but just what more can I do? It just gives you answers. Mm. It just shows up things in every walk of life. If you play, what more can I do in my health? What more can I do in my business? What more can I do in my relationships? You know, it's it just going to provide you with answers as opposed to, the opposite of kind of just saying, oh, you know, I can't do any more or just talking yourself out of it, which could be yeah. the opposite. So, yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, these days you've been through so much, you've achieved so much. But what gives? I'm curious at what gives you kind of meaning or purpose in life, These, especially when you shared how there was that moment where you realised you'd lost your purpose or you didn't have a purpose, with one that you could connect with. So what gives you kind of meaning or purpose in life like these days now? Um. So when I retired from international competition, I people said that, you know, what now, Steve? Yeah. What do next? What's next? And I said, Look, I, I really want to help people because I'd experienced this happiness and fulfillment in my life of becoming a world champion, crossing the finish line, gold medal. It's just amazing. And so I wanted more of that, but I wanted other people to experience that feeling as well because I feel that a lot of people go through life, like I mentioned before, just flatlining, mm. um, you know, work's work, uh, you know, how's your relationship? That's not, it's not. Per- or they say, I don't really like my job. And you go, oh, so, so what are you doing about that? And they go, oh, nothing. And you go, oh, right. So you don't like your job, but you're not doing anything about it. And they go, no. And if you dig down deep, sometimes they say, I don't know, I don't know how to. I don't know how to move on from it. Mm. And I'm like, oh my goodness, really? You don't, okay. I can help. I know how to do it. I know how to to set a goal and work towards it and achieve it. I've done it through rehabilitation. I've done it as an elite athlete, two times world champion. I'm now doing it in my business, successful business, global speaker. I know what to do. And so what I needed to do, it sounds like I'm showing off now, big headed, but no, what I want to do is share it with other people to help them so that they can achieve 
the thing that they really want, whatever that is. Like I said before, it could be something very different to, to what I think. You know, it could be academics, it could be health, it could be wealth, it could be environment, it could be whatever. I know how they can achieve it. So it's about how, again, what more can I do to, to get that on there? Standing on the stage and, and delivering my, 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 my speech with my messages is great. And people are inspired and motivated, but how does that help them? So it's about giving them a tool, a practical tool for them to actually go and do something. So I've started doing that at the, the end of my performance. Uh, there's a little exercise that we do, which is really good. That It's all about having a vision of what they want to achieve. You've got to start focusing on what you want to achieve rather than what you want to avoid. Number one, mm. golden vision. The next one is, is your golden soul as to, to why. Why do you want to do this? Know deep down why you want to do it. Because when the going gets tough, tough gets going you need to know why you're going to keep going keep getting up at 5 30 in the morning to go towards it to your golden soul the next one is your golden gear what more can i do mm. times three so work out what you need to do to achieve that thing make a big list almost like a, a mind map and then start ticking them off one by one one by one doing it now the next one is your golden gang so who's around you who's helping you to achieve that and this is not just helping you to to, to commence or to achieve but also fulfillment. And what I mean by that is who do you want in the future? So say you do achieve, and I've achieved in my business, that's great. And I've got an amazing golden gang around me, but I'm not finished yet. I want other people in my golden gang that will take me to a higher level. So I already know who I want. It's this case of like, you know, the opportunities. So when I meet them, I go, oh my goodness, you're you're on my list of people I need to meet. And, and now I need to like connect with you. And sometimes I'm not ready for them yet. Maybe because I can't afford them yet, or maybe it's not the right time in my business for them yet. So I want to turn my my book into an audio book. Right. Okay. So I need to need somebody to help me do that. And I've got somebody in mind, but not yet, because I'm busy. I'm busy doing other things. So just put them at the sideline. The last one, Alex, is your, your golden hour. So your golden hours is like having a five-year plan, four-year, three-year, two-year plan, one-year plan. What are you going to do by the end of this this one year or by the end of three months or by the end of this week? or this day, or this hour? What are you doing to work towards that five-year plan, that vision that we talked about in the first one, the golden vision? So that's what I want to do is share that. And by writing my new book, Gold, it's got the five winning ways to achieve the gold in your life. And when I say gold, gold is an acronym for your goal, your opportunity, your love, your dream, gold. And helping people to achieve that makes me really happy, gives me satisfaction. So I am me because they are them. And the more people that I help to achieve, the happier I am. Whether that's a selfish thing, I don't know. It's like fitting your own oxygen mask. But that's what my drive is. That's what my purpose is. And and I'm always thinking about what I can do to to make that happen. Yeah, wonderful, Steve. No, what a wonderful purpose. I mean, I can't think of a you know a more kind of valiant and noble cause to have, really. And that's great. And yeah, and, and thank you for bringing up your book. I was going to ask you about your book, but it sounds like you broke broke down quite well the the different parts of it and the different structures. So fantastic. Well, Steve, listen, thank you so much for your time. What an inspirational story to hear, you know, where you where you came from to where you are now. We'll link to your book in the show notes as well. If anyone would like to learn more about Steve's yeah, experience and learn more about his uh have you got a copy of perfect? <laughs> gold. That's gold. great. Yeah, it's but, uh, no, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you so much for for sharing. And yeah, enjoy your day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alex.